0: Nobody else uh, to think, oh, yeah, Lord, that kind of fits into that. So, yeah, so we're continuing our Transform Life series, looking at this uh, letter uh, to the Ephesians. And this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 19. And as I have no PowerPoints because I am just technologically challenged. Uh, this morning. If you've got a device, a Bible, a phone, uh, a piece of paper, uh, you can look over someone's. You might just want to have sight of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 17 to 19. I'm going to say it quite a lot. So if you don't, don't have access to look at it, you'll probably get a grasp of it. But if you do, it's probably worth turning to it. And what the Apostle Paul is praying for is that the Christians there will have revelation. That's, really, that's, that's what he's praying for. They'll have revelation. And so we're going to look this morning at what this word revelation means and how it comes and why we need it and in what areas. So I think best if I read out Ephesians 1, 17 to 19, then I'll pray and we'll jump in and see what we can learn from God's word this morning. Ephesians 1, 17 to 19 says this. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. I'll read it again because it's only short. I'll do it a bit quicker. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and we pray that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would encourage us by your word through the activity of your Holy Spirit. We ask you, Holy Spirit, will you help us to understand and fully grasp the truth that we are looking at this morning? And we pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, let's jump in. Revelation. Paul tells them that he's going to keep asking God to give them a spirit, notice capital S, of wisdom and revelation. So, what does that word revelation mean? Well, it's pretty tricky, but this is my best stab. To get a revelation means to have something revealed to you. I know. You're with me? I can feel it. In other words, it's to see something that you couldn't see before. It's to know something that you didn't know before. I'll never forget the moment 28 years ago, approximately, when Jane came to see me one day at work. Jane's my wife, if you don't know her. And I was a new, fairly newish police officer at East Grinstead, and I was working on a murder inquiry, so I was based in the station. And she came, and she, uh, the front office called me up and said, oh, Dale, your wife's here. She just wants a quick word with you. So I came down wondering, what was this? You know, maybe she bought me a cake, some lunch, you know, whatever it was. Who do I know? I came in the front, hey, hun. hey, it's just me and hey, All right, all right. Yeah, she said, got some news to tell you. I'm pregnant. Now, that, that was a revelation to me, right there. That was a revelation to me. I didn't know that when I got up that morning. It had been revealed to her through the pregnancy test or maybe one of the numerous pregnancy tests that she'd done that morning. And so there was this initial moment of revelation. Wow, she's going to have a baby. We're going to have a child. And then a few weeks later when we went along for the scan, we had further revelation about this baby when we saw it on the monitor, kind of. You know what I mean? Where's the head? Where's the leg? I couldn't see anything to be honest with you. But we found out more. There's the baby, got pictures of it. They could measure stuff. They perhaps could have told us the sex and other things about it. And in the Christian life, it's the same. We have this initial revelation of God when we first encounter him. Like that lady Pippa was talking about in the hospital bed. She just she met with God. In that moment, right there, she met with God. I don't know whether she'd ever met with God before. Who knows? But she met with God then. There's an initial moment and we're saved. But we're also to go on and we're to have more revelations of God. Guess what? God is is bigger than you thought he was when you first met him, if you're a Christian. He's not limited by how much we can understand him. We go on. We have more revelation of him, what he's like. That song we sang this morning about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, to me, the holy trinity of God's character is goodness, his faithfulness, and his kindness, which kind of make his love. Whenever I sing a song like that, it gets me right there. We have, great, we have increasing revelation. Oh, this is what God's like. And we also have greater revelation from him. This is what he thinks. This is what he wants us to do. This is what he wants to speak into my life. And the way we get revelation from God is to pray. That's what Paul says. It's to pray, to ask him, to ask God to reveal things to us that we don't know, that we can't see unless God, in his love and his mercy, reveals it to us. So he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's not like Paul turned up, some people got saved, and then Paul said, right, job done. They've met God. Job done. No, no, Paul says, I'm going to keep on asking that the God who has revealed himself to you will keep on revealing himself to you because you need increasing revelation because guess what? God's bigger than what you think he is. That's where Paul starts. And what is... What is it that we need a spirit of wisdom and revelation for? Well, Paul says that you may know him better, that you may know him better. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit, capital S, of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. And not just knowing about God. That's not what that word means. But it means knowing who he really is and therefore being able to understand something of our destiny, our identity, our purpose, our place in life, according to who God is and who God says we are. This word know, it doesn't mean a kind of a head knowledge. It doesn't mean knowing some facts about God. The actual word means to know in a profound, in a perfect and intimate knowledge. I know facts about Elvis Presley, but I never knew Elvis Presley. I know facts about all kinds, I know facts about the Queen. I've stood 25 feet away from her. I don't know her though, not in terms of this word. When Paul says, I pray that you may know him better. He's talking about a different level of knowledge. Social media today means we supposedly know lots about people from their profile, their pictures, but all we really know is the bits that they choose to present to the world as being themselves. Let me just say, we don't really know them. <laughs> we don't really know them. For a Christian, we initially come to know God when we're saved and then. We go on through life with the ups and downs, the things that Claire was talking about earlier in terms of what had gone on in her life. Jesus was the rock. Yeah, he was the rock. Now he's going to prove that he's the rock. As we go through life, we have opportunity to increasingly know him. And one day in heaven, we will know him perfectly, fully, completely. See, on the kind of knowing God spectrum, right? Knowing God's spectrum starts here, kind of ends over here kind of thing. It kind of goes salvation, life, and then kind of eternity. It kind of goes initially, we know God initially, we encounter him. Then we can have increasing revelation and knowledge of God. And then one day in heaven, we shall know him completely, perfectly. So how do we increasingly grow in knowing God intimately if that's what the Apostle Paul is saying he's praying for them for? And Paul says the key is that we need to pray that God our Father will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And notice the capital S on spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. Like Pippa was encouraging us earlier, We need the Spirit of God to be actively showing us things about God, helping us, enabling us to know him better, to know him more intimately. We need the Holy Spirit to come and reveal things, to pull back the curtain, to say, no, no, this is what God is like. We need the activity of the Holy Spirit. If you read God's Word, God's truth, without the illumination, without the activity, without the help of the Holy Spirit, it's like having a fireplace full of logs, but with no match to set them ablaze. That's a sad thought, isn't it? They sit there with all the potential to give heat and light and to do good, but they cannot. And I think in the same way, we need God's Spirit to reveal God's truth to us it's his truth and he has determined that it will be revealed to us by his spirit it's just the way that God has decided it's gonna work so in terms of knowing him better please remember that picture God's word without God's spirit to explain it illuminate bring it to us, put it into our hearts, put it into our head, make it personal for us, is as much use as a pile of logs on a cold, dark night without any matches or means to light them. Which actually is why you can never reduce studying God's Word down to just a merely academic level. Well, you can, but you're not really studying God's Word. (laughs) You can't really say, I just want to know what it says and then I'll decide whether I like it. And if I like it, then I might follow God. And if I don't, you can never really reduce studying God's word down to that because God always wants to speak relationally to his children. God doesn't want us to go through some academic exercise like we're reading a biology manual. No, no, this is God's word and God's truth. And what he wants to do is he wants us to allow his Holy Spirit to come and make it known to us so that we might know him better it's all about building that relationship so we ask why might we why should we desire to know god better well i think first and foremost he's god he's our father probably a good reason to get to know god better you know on a very practical personal level you know the antidote to insecurity is not to try and build the most secure life around yourself in this world. I don't know if you've realized that yet. But the antidote to insecurity is not to have more security in and of yourself or the world, but it is to have a greater revelation of the love of the Father. The antidote for insecurity is to know that God loves you more. The antidote to anxiety and worry about the future is not to try and future-proof everything in your life. I I won't get sick, and I won't ever get any out of money, and I won't, I won't, I won't. I won't, I, I need to fight anxiety by putting everything stable and sound. It doesn't work. The antidote to fear about the future is to have a greater revelation of the faithfulness of God. Whatever I go through, God will be with me. Whatever I go through, good, bad, or ugly, God will be there. Whatever I go through, at the end of the day, God will bring me through. That is the antidote to anxiety. Not trying to manage and control and put everything in place and take away everything that might worry us. The answer to every fear, insecurity, worry, concern lies in knowing God more. Knowing God more intimately. Knowing that he's the answer to that particular worry or insecurity and then doing like it says in Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust him with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Human thinking, I think, is that we get to know ourselves, we get to know others, we get to know the world, and we try and exercise control, and we try to manage those things. And in some ways, in doing that, we're hoping to reduce our fears, manage our insecurities. That's human thinking, I think, when you get down to the bottom level. Biblical thinking is that we get to know God better. Through the Holy Spirit revealing him to us, we get to know God better. And as we do that, we're able to bring our fears, we're able to bring our insecurities to him, and he's able to show us why and how he is greater how he's provided a way for us to overcome, how through his son Jesus Christ we have a means and a way to overcome anything that may cause us worry, insecurity, fear, etc. So in these verses, Paul is teaching us, we need to pray that we might have greater revelation of who God is through his Holy Spirit so that we might know him better. That's the first verse of these two. And then Paul goes on to pray, actually, for three particular blessings. The hope of the Father's call, the glory of the Father's inheritance, and the greatness of the Father's power. He says in verse 18, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So Paul kind of puts some flesh on the bones here. And he starts by praying that we might know the hope of the Father's call. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order you may know the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which we've been called is something that we receive, if you like, at the beginning of our journey of faith as Christians. We've been called to a life of hope. Worldly hope is it's all about having several possible outcomes and we might have an optimistic desire that the one we want will happen. We might hope that we will get this or that job. We might hope this or that football team will win the league. I might hope that I don't get fined for forgetting to pay the £2.50 drop-off charge at Gatwick, as I did a few days ago. Don't let that one catch you out. So if you like, worldly hope is around there are several outcomes, and there's one or two that I really desire will happen, maybe one or two that, you know, that I'd really like to see happen, but there's nothing sure, there's nothing certain about any of it. Whereas Christian hope, the kind that Paul is praying for, is that we might know. It's a confident expectation in the fulfillment of the promises of God. That's the kind of hope, a confident expectation in the fulfillment of the promises of God. It's a sure hope. It's a certain hope. It's a hope that rests on God and not on ourselves, and not on others, and not on circumstances, and not on good luck, and not on fate, and not on karma, and not on all the hundreds of other things that people look to. We have this hope in life that God will work out all things for our good, which as Claire said earlier, it doesn't mean that nothing difficult or bad will ever happen to us, but it means that actually We will always be able to see and know and draw on the goodness of God through whatever we go through, and ultimately, he will bring us through, and he will even use all that stuff for our good. That's the hope that we have in life. The hope we have in death is that we'll go and be with God forever. That's not a bad hope, is it? And God wants us to know, therefore, that we've been called to this life of hope. We are to be those who live with that sense, that secure hope. And what's doubly amazing about this is not only is it a hope that the world knows nothing about and cannot offer, though it looks for it and tries for it and tries to sell it, market it, you could da-da-da-da. We were actually called from a life that was without hope. Ephesians 2 verse 12, we'll get to it in this series. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ without hope and without God in the world. So if you're a Christian here, you've moved from a position of hopelessness without Christ to a position of hope with Christ. And sometimes I know it's hard to see hope in very difficult situations, especially if it's very emotive, very long-standing, nothing seems to be changing. But, you know, we, we rely on things that we can't see all the time. The, the simple picture of being at a crossroads. We can see that our traffic lights are green, but we can't see that the other traffic lights are red. But we hope that they are, and we pull across. When Jane was pregnant that first time, we couldn't see the baby in her tummy till we went to the scan, but... We trusted that there was a baby. A baby was there because it said so on the thing and she was feeling sick and there were the telltale signs. We trusted, no, no, there's a baby there. But, you know, in the same way, we can, we can stare at God's truth uh, for a long time. But, you know, I think if we're really going to see the hope, the eternal hope that is there, we need the Holy Spirit to come and to reveal that to us. That's part of the Holy Spirit's job. We we we've been called to this hope. It's sure. It's secure. It's certain. But we look and we wonder and we. So who's going to make the difference? Do we have to try harder, or do we need the Holy Spirit to come and reveal to us, to remind us, to encourage us? I think Paul is saying, "No, come on, look to the Holy Spirit, to do that." The hope that you have. Second thing he goes on to talk about is the glory of the Father's inheritance. He says he prays these things that the Holy Spirit, we might know him better, and we may know not just the hope that we're called to, but the riches of his glorious inheritance. If we're called to a life of hope at the beginning of our journey of faith, Paul then moves on that actually we would even have a revelation that there is a glorious ending. We have a glorious inheritance at the end. It says in Romans 8, 17, If we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If we share in his suffering, in order we may also share in his glory. Now, I love in sharing in the glory. I'm not so keen on sharing in the suffering. But, of course, that destination, when we think about, if we're now looking at glorious inheritance, kind of what's it gonna be like at the end. The destination of something has a massive impact on our view of the journey. I've noticed that people don't seem to mind one hour in a car, three hours in an airport, 10 hours on a plane, another one hour in a coach to get to an island in the Maldives. They don't seem to mind that, and yet the world almost stops if they get stuck behind a learner driver in (laughs) Oxford Town Centre. There's something about the destination which somehow changes how we think about the journey. And you know, we might think we can imagine what our destination as Christians will be like. What it will be like. But just to let you know, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 says you can't. It says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. <laughs> See, I think I can imagine quite a lot about what heaven might be like. I'm picturing it now. I'm on the golf course. I'm overlooking the sea. I've got a cold cider and a chicken kebab at every hole. And, and I'm playing wonderfully well. Whoever I'm playing with is playing quite well, but I'm just playing that little bit better. That's a sad insight into my small world. But I can imagine quite a lot of what heaven might be like. But do you know what the truth is? The Bible says you can't even imagine what God has prepared. The only thing I can imagine is the best of things that I could, you know, of, of a seen, scene, of experience. But it's going to be way better than that. It's going to be better than the best that even you and I can imagine. So therefore, to even grasp, to even taste, to even get a glimpse of the glorious inheritance that we have waiting for us, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. Surely. If the Bible says, I can't even imagine what heaven might be like, if I want to get a taste, a glimpse of what it might be like, I need something that's bigger and outside and stronger than me to do that because my brain can't get there, the Bible says. So, how do we get a sense of it? I believe the Holy Spirit is able to give us a glimpse, a sense of what it's like. Paul, I don't think, wants us to have a vague idea of what might happen, but he wants us to live with and in the light of our eternal destiny being sure, being certain, being glorious. We're not supposed to go through life kind of just being stoic and holding on for heaven. "Mm, We'll get there one day. It's not how we're meant to be. But neither are we meant to just forget about the inheritance that we have. I think what we're supposed to do is to let what we have on that day Even though we can't fully get our minds around it, we get a sense of it when the Holy Spirit reveals it to us as we read his word. We get a sense of what it might be like. We're supposed to live with that and let that change, inform, help us, put in perspective the things that we go through in the here and now. But we need the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us. But that's the second thing I think Paul prays for. Something around the riches of the inheritance that we have. And then he finishes by praying about the greatness of the Father's power. That we may know this incomparably great power for us who believe. So hope is about the first steps on the journey. Inheritance is about the destination of the journey. Paul now starts to talk about power for the journey. And I'm not going to say a huge amount about this because I think it's covered in more details as we go through this series. But just for now, I just want us to see that we do need power for the journey. We need strength. We need sustenance. We need fuel for the journey of the Christian life that we are on. In fact, here's the bad news. We need a power that we don't have. We need a power that we don't have. If you're a Christian and you're trying to do it all in your own strength, just to let you know, you won't. You will not. But we do have access to the power that we need. Because the verse says, Paul's praying that we will know his incomparably great power, which is available to us who believe. And it's available to us through the Holy Spirit, who, as Pippa reminded us earlier, God has given us when we believed, when we put our faith in him, the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit came to reside within us. The storehouse of heaven came to reside within us when the Holy Spirit came to reside within us. We don't need to generate the power we need to live the Christian life. We just need to recognize that we don't have the power. We need the power. The one who has the power is the Holy Spirit. And guess what? He's available to those who believe. You and I were not only created to worship God and reflect something of His glory, but we were also created by Him to rely on Him for things that we need. And therefore, to try and live without that power that only He can give is futile, doomed to failure. Let me share a secret with you. We are weak. Partly because God made us weak. We are weak because God made us weak. But it wasn't his intention to leave us as weak. No, no, his intention was to make us strong. But the gap between our strength and the strength that we need, this bit in the middle, God intended, I am going to supply that as you rely on me through my Holy Spirit. It's why Paul in 2 Corinthians says things like, That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's worked out. Okay, I'm weak. I've got a certain amount of strength. But the strength I kind of need to face difficulties, persecutions, is there. There's a gap. God, what's the plan for the gap? God says, I'll give you my Holy Spirit. And he will enable you. He will, he will make you strong. It'll be a bit of you and it'll be a lot of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of the way that God, I think, has worked it out. I tend to think of it like this. I use an illustration of a car. I have a petrol car. Without petrol, the car won't have any power. I can't generate petrol from within myself. I've tried. It doesn't work. I can generate some things from within myself, but petrol is not one of them. So what do I do? I take it to the garage and I fill up. what I do with my car. But if I spend all my money and have none left to kind of get the petrol with, then I'm in trouble. If I never look at the petrol gauge, I might just be on the M25 going round and round and my car runs out of petrol. If I do keep an eye on the petrol gauge and I see it going down and down, but I ignore it, I'll do that tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, I'm too busy, I've got to do this, got to do that. I'll take my car tomorrow and fill it up. Guess what? I might just break down run out of power on the way. I can't generate petrol, but I can do some things that mean I shouldn't run out of petrol and that should keep it topped up and my car will keep running. And I think as Christians, we just cannot generate the power we need to lead the Christian life that God calls us to. We were never supposed to, but we can get it from God. We can keep being filled up. The issue for the Christian of a lack of power is never a supply chain lack. There's never a lack on God's side. God has plenty and plenty more. He never runs out. He never runs dry. He never says, oh, I better be careful now. We better ration this. No, no, God's got absolutely plenty. The issue often is a demand issue. It's usually for me, I forget how much I need him. I forget I need the power. I need him to reveal things. I need him to remind me. I need him to teach me the things he taught me every year for the last 30 years because I forget. I leak. I get it wrong. I get a bit skewy about it. I get a bit off beam. I try and find other ways. I'll do this. I'll do that. I won't do that. I'll ignore this. What I need to do is come back. No, no, God, I need you. I need you and your Holy Spirit to come and refresh me and renew me. Which is why I think Paul here prays they may have a revelation of their need of power from God, which he says is available to those who believe. So there you go. The hope of the Father's call, the glory of the Father's inheritance, the greatness of the Father's power. Now, I don't know if any one of those particularly you're in need of this morning. Maybe you think I we would love to be strengthened in one of those areas. Let me tell you, if you're a Christian here, That strengthening is available and it comes through the Holy Spirit who is able to give you revelation of them. But it will only come as we come before the Holy Spirit and ask him. I don't believe it will just happen like osmosis. I think it comes as we ask. And this is Pentecost Sunday. This is the Sunday, as was read out earlier, when we remember that first time after Jesus Uh, had been raised again, when God poured out his Holy Spirit. And my prayer for this morning for us is exactly the same. That God would pour out his Holy Spirit on us again, here and now. That we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And wherever it is that you and I are feeling a lack and need to be strengthened, wherever it is that we need God by his Holy Spirit to reveal things to us about ourselves, our life, our circumstances, that God, out of His goodness and kindness, would come and fill us once again with His Holy Spirit. Great, thanks, Kevin. I'm sure,